Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of the Interjections Podcast, the Undiscovered Decade, as we have subtitled it. This is a podcast where we look back at the 1990s and try to find the hidden gems that are buried in our past, something deep down within us that might rise up and take us over with its enthusiasm or its thrills. Have you ever seen Split? Multiple versions of it. Have you ever seen Split? Well, there was a version of it in the 90s, apparently. Uh, so this month, we, we've been focusing a lot on specific actors, as we, as we usually say at the end when we do our picks of the month. Uh, and, and this month, we chose one from John Lithgow, an actor we, we like often on from many of his films. Uh, more on than off. More on than off, yeah. Hard rock from the sun, baby. <laughs> yeah. no. um, so we picked the film Raising Kane, uh, mostly because it was the best choice of the month, but... Uh, oh, I thought it was because it sounded wow. like Raising Kane, and it sounded cool. Is that why you thought we picked it? August, yeah. August was a very sparse month. August was a little over <laughs> 1992. Uh, <laughs> Well, once Corey uh, tells us the other films, you'll see why. Uh, but it also was directed by Brian De Palma. Uh, so this gives us a chance to talk about his filmography. Uh, he is a master of the thriller throughout his career. Uh, he owes a lot to Hitchcock. He has stated he's a big fan and always was a big inspiration to him as he made his films. Uh, you can see in, in the film Body Double, he pretty much is... Homage. You say O's, I say plagiarizes. Homaging rear window. Uh, so I just learned there were two versions of this film that yeah. I never knew about. Right. I don't know if we all saw the same version. Yeah, we could. Well, I've seen both, so I know. Well, Corey, you want to explain like how that was laid out? It wasn't really that much of a difference. It was like, well, here's the thing: um, storylines were misordered. Yeah. Um, apparently the film got taken away from the Palma post-production and the studio re-edited re and reorganized a lot of the scenes. Oh. So, um, hmm. years later when it got a Blu-ray release from Shout Factory, uh, a, uh, an editor over in uh, the Netherlands, uh, edited a version that was closer to De Palma's script. He consulted with the script and made sure that it was a little bit closer to his version. And then De Palma saw it, loved it. And then commissioned to get it released on this version. So he didn't do any work. Wait, so is it a direct? Is a non-director's director's cut? Because somebody else. De Palma, De Palma had such flack. He had someone else voluntarily make his director's cut. Yeah. The big difference is reorganized in the beginning. So in the version that we watch, um, well, let, let's let's dive into the plot a little bit. Yeah. Let's do um, uh. John Lithgow plays Carter Nix, who is this child, child psychologist, who um, within the first couple of minutes, we see that he's a little unhinged. He's been kidnapping children and shipping them over to uh, his father's clinic in order to be guinea pigs for the, his research. In the director's cut version, it jumps ahead a little bit to where his, we find out that his wife's having an affair. So it's so, for some of that stuff. Yeah, and the studio hated that it focused more on Davidovich at the beginning. They wanted to start off immediately with Lithgow. 
Huh. I think by starting with the affair, you're a little more sympathetic to Lithgow <laughs> in the director's cut version. Because in this, you just like, okay, he's nuts already. Yeah. There's no <laughs> it's okay that she's having an affair. Maybe she'll get out of this. Right. Yeah. Huh. Huh. So which version we saw the we saw the original cut. Oh, the original, we saw the, original we saw the, cut. the one with with Lithgow in the beginning. With right. the yeah. form and everything. Right. Yeah. So we saw the lame version. Well, honestly, I, I think both versions are good, but I think the director's cuts are better. I'd rather see the original and then hear what they changed to see if I could, I would be able to like it more. Yeah. Like Blade Runner gets confusing about what he changes. Right. Uh, because it's sometimes so minute that you're like, why? Bother? Yeah. Right. Well, I think the other thing is like if you do it with, um, with Jenny's plot first, not only. Did you know, I, I agree that you probably feel a little bit more sympathetic toward him, but that also could be a reason for him to like, because the I'm whole great. thing is he's got like multiple personalities and, you know, you could conceive that as a reason why he just fucking broke. Right. Um, yeah. But it was not like they go deeper into how his father was basically abusing him into like separating his personality into so many different and versions the director's cut does it cut to him starting to kidnap children after he sees the affair happening at the park like oh uh, yeah because it, it starts off with uh her meeting like stephen bauer and all that 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 part in the uh the antique store yeah and then um later down the line is when uh you see him start to abduct the kids but by that point you're like yeah, it's you're eased a little more into the lurid melodrama, right? Whereas in this, it's just like you jump in headlong into it. Hey, just I, I, I feel like in this in this version, not, no spoilers or anything. Well, we're gonna get to that later. We but, just yeah. I hope so. But uh, That's our point. I, I feel like in this version, you know right away that um, Kane already is a figment of his imagination. Whereas mm -hmm. in the director's cut, they're they're a little more cat and mouse with that they're not as overt that sounds, yeah. that sounds better yeah <laughs> yeah they were also <laughs> obviously like, the other twist later in the movie is you think the father is a figment of his imagination and he's actually real right yeah because, well because the father's also played by john lithgow like all of these right, yeah, personalities yeah. are played by lithgow talking to himself in different framing including this, the father this is why i said have you seen split because it's similar to how james mcavoy ends up playing a bunch of different characters and james mcavoy is just wearing a bunch of different clothing so it's, right. you know yeah maybe split i actually haven't seen that. split but yeah. you know i gathered that was kind of well basically he has more uh, yeah. personality disorder right. that's all you need to know and i'm yeah. not going to go into more split but yeah. james mcavoy plays several of his personalities there's none that are just like oh it's that's the woman, like uh, yeah. same with uh, I think United States of Terror does the same thing where mm. she plays herself, but like puts on a trucker hat when she's a guy. Yeah, yeah. But the the beginning of this one, you know, Kane shows up and it's just it's just John Lithgow in sunglasses, like, and he's just like, you know, the evil twin vibe, and they actually say like, oh, it's just you know two twins arguing about something while this woman's knocked out in a car and so i think you're led to believe that like 
it is two people mm-hmm. until later on in the movie when it's just you know it's the same person just talking to himself. Yeah, I only. And, but oh, well, I didn't catch on until like a little bit later. Really? Yeah. But for instance, like uh, the thing well, I got a clearer look at the evil twin's other hand. I was like, he's got a ring on. Did he have a ring on before? And then well, I was like, oh, he's it away. Is That's what gave it away for me. I was like, noticing they both had the same exact ring. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The scene with the father where he drugs him in the hotel room that gives it away automatically that Carter is Kane because he's dressed like Carter, but he's acting like Kane. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why it was interesting because, like, at that point, you still think that the father is also one of the personalities. Yeah. You're like, "Ooh, this is, how is he knocking him out?" Whoa! That's actually what I realized. That yeah. was that scene, right? Because, like, I realized I was confused when I saw the like the evil twin like feeling up the uh, the brother's wife. And I was like, ooh, but then I saw the ring on his hand. I was like, wait a minute, he's not the married one. I'm confused. Yeah, I think yeah. they did a fine job yeah. of slipping it in, but yeah. the only reason I knew it immediately was because they weren't showing them in a two shot. Yeah. So they kept going back and it forth. Was, like, I bet they're I bet it's his imagination. Yeah. I just it was, and then there was they had a crooked angle on, uh, right. on him too. Yeah. But like that that just made me think like, oh, he's the unhinged one. He's the yeah. he's really a bad guy. Yeah. I also didn't think well, that his brother would break out of jail. Is it? He kind of implies that he's like, "You're out." He's like, "Yeah, I'm out." He's on a random side street near the park. How would he find his twin brother? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he comes out of nowhere, so I, I don't think that he would just pop up. Yeah. Especially after he the, drugged the woman, you know. <laughs> well, I haven't no. Well, I didn't know the vibe of the movie yet. Yeah. Like I knew nothing about the movie, so like I was just yeah. Like, yeah. I just tried to think of logistics, I guess. It can't be understated how good. It could have been a fun movie, a random brother popping out of nowhere while the the other one's kidnapping a child. Like, it could have been a comedy. (laughs) No, it it had the feeling of, like, well, also the way that they started it out, it had the feeling of, like, a villain of the week lifetime movie type thing. I'm like, this is, I could see this, like, accidentally ending up in the lifetime programming section because just like this guy chloroforms a woman within f- the first five minutes of the movie and you're like oh this is not going to end well I almost want to say that this is a weird like, like he's like oh oh I don't oh, oh, I'm sorry uh, uh, I don't oh, think like so oh you had to I don't know I, I, I I'm inclined to disagree Corey but go on I'm curious it's definitely a dark comedy because the way Lithgow's playing it is way too campy to be taken seriously. And uh, some of the scenarios are inherently silly. I think this is De Palma riffing on himself in a tongue-in-cheek way. Huh. Isn't Lithgow always campy, though? Almost he like, is. Uh, yeah, Cliffhanger's not campy. like a villain in a couple movies. I know. Well, Certain. No, I mean, okay, a couple on them. A half. He's... He's a character actor, so you know there's there's that bit of over the topness, but there's actually a uh, there was one fan theory going around, I guess presumably because of the first cut of the movie, where uh, his character in Dexter is actually like a continuation of Kane, <laughs> or the Evil Twin, or whatever, and you're like. <laughs> It's a stretch, but I can get. I guess I can like. If you watch nothing more than the first twenty minutes of the movie, I can see that. Right. Yeah. In continuation. People, people love connecting their universes. Right. 
the 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 schlocky dialogue it can't there's no way that's supposed to be played straight yeah well there are shock kane has picked his lock i mean it yeah. doesn't exactly <laughs> lend itself to a lifetime i don't know but then if we if you play it up to the fact that like he's been raised by this you know foreign abusive psychologist who probably speaks like that normally yeah and at one point when he's playing a seven-year-old you know which he got really pouty like a seven-year-old too he really just like went all bright-eyed and shit it's kind of disturbing this is where where things started going off the rails for me because narratively well narratively like the editing in the beginning and and the middle and almost the end was just (laughs) they kept cutting back between his different personalities and dealing with these different people and i'm like okay i don't know who's supposed to be a bad guy who's just an innocent bystander who and then at one point when like jenny you know he pushes her in the lake and then she's back and i'm like is she really back or is she just is this like a figment of his like he's just having nightmares because guilt or is she really back and then she's really back and you're like oh but okay like he he very easily killed this other person but then the way the important one comes back and you're like what version did you watch jeff i watched whatever was on amazon which i think it was the the original cut okay you you see they may they maybe made that more uh clear in the director's cut i would imagine yeah um in the earlier scene when when they were at the morgue i was confused when they showed the uh, because like that's what i was about because the the hair was different yeah i thought it it was just like oh her hair floated apart i you know i think that's just a red herring yeah i thought it was i thought it was jenny yeah i was like because and then like when when she popped out popped up out of nowhere again where you thought she was like an the imagination yeah uh i was confused again because like i thought she was physically there well i I wasn't sure like was it uh an illusion or was it real and then it became real i was like oh okay all right no it's so so that's when i was like okay so it was the woman in the trunk that they found and And blah 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 it's it's also worth noting that like you know he's also trying to frame the guy that she his wife was having an affair with um and all of this is happening with the ticking clock of he actually did kidnap some children and only one of his personalities knows where they are so they're trying to like then they call in this other psychologist who has studied him like all of the literature about him but like was almost kind of starstruck when meeting him which was weird yeah but like she's trying to talk and then that's when he like cycles through all of the other personalities to try to get to like they still have to find these kids while all of this is happening yeah i think that well obviously the plot's a bit of a mess but i think in terms of like uh set pieces and camera work it's as good as the Palmas ever been. There's that shot with uh, Greg Henry at the police station where they track from upstairs, downstairs, all the way. I think it's all the way down to the morgue. 
all the way to the more yeah i was actually yeah. gonna bring that up i uh i wanted to point out that i often find when they do these exposition dumps it feels like they're just trying to force it when they're sitting in the same room but having it go through the whole building it felt like oh you're getting to see it it's really just a way to get this exposition out without it feeling perfunctory you know yeah. Uh, my mom would always say on stage, she used to direct people on stage in the background so that nothing was, you know, out of focus, not pulling your eyes away from the main action. But so then the, the cast wasn't just kind of standing there watching the action. You got to so give them a bit of business. A reason as someone's doing business. So that gave them a chance to make a fully functioning police station. That's right. what I got out of that shot. And it yeah. felt like you were coming along with her for her information. Sure. And then you also got a sense of what Greg Henry and his partner's business was there. Right. So they're all kind of respected and you get the sense that they can go anywhere in a station. And you know, I just thought it was a good idea for him to do it that way. But it also helped him uh, focus on his cinematography, like showcase what he can do with long shots. Right. Yeah. Even, even in the end, even the ending, the, the climax at the, the motel, it's pretty much like a self-parody of uh, <laughs> of those shots that he basically stole from Balsha Potemkin, mm. all the things, yeah, yeah. motion and everything, where everything's like cross-cutting and interconnecting at the same time. Um, it builds suspense, but at the same time, from a distance, you're watching it, you're like, this is contrived and ridiculous, but I can't help but for me, I can't help but love. Mm -hmm. I really liked the uh, cinematography, even even with that uh, feeling you might get from it. Um, There's something I learned from this, actually. I'd never heard of this type of shot. Did I, I told you about this? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you told me about this. Really. Um, this this thing called the diopter lens. Did you know about this, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, split? Yeah, I had never heard of it somehow but i'm not i i've never worked as a camera person really uh so it pretty much splits the lens so say if i'm up here kind of but then obviously with the lens in a computer it's different but say jimmy's even further back they keep everything in focus by having the yeah. lens split right down the middle and so they can get something like in the police station when they're trying to decide what to do and get that other psychologist in. They have uh, Carter in the background doing a sketch of Jack so that he can he can get them to get Jack. But you see it being sketched in the background and the cop's still talking about it up in the foreground. And you don't notice that the line is right on the doorway. Yeah. So would always frame it so that you could, you don't even realize you get to see both things at the same time because the eye goes to something that's in focus all the time, usually the eyes. But this way, you're paying attention to both things, and yeah. it lets you not have to do the work in your imagination. And apparently, he's a master of this. I didn't know, and so I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole to see all his diopter shots in all his movies, and I'm fascinated. Yeah. I love the shot now. He does a lot of um, low angle, like parabolic lens in this movie too, and mm -hmm. dumb angles. Mm -hmm. It keeps you deliberately off balance for most of it. I'm thinking in particular the the scene in with uh, the father in the hotel room. He's basically he's shot with a long lens, so when he comes towards you, it's like very distorted, and he's like Hulk. He's like basically 
poking over this, the uh, shot. Um, yeah, if, not, if nothing else, you got to admire the camera work in this. Yeah. That's got to be my favorite part. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely well done. How did you feel about the side characters at all? Like, I love Greg Howard. Henry. Every I, time Greg Henry shows up in anything, he's fantastic. Look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I spent the whole time wondering if Greg Henry was the guy that played Vigo in Ghostbusters too. <laughs> I'm dare you. <laughs> that guy's in the mouth of madness. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Okay. They were yeah, I don't I don't know. It was just they they just seemed like two dummy cops that were like getting dragged along for the ride um reluctantly which i guess you know works for the story because no one was really appreciating how dangerous the situation was and so you have law enforcement be like oh yeah sure okay there's like four of them and one guy yeah no that's uh -huh. sure thing weird german lady <laughs> i mean they they at least like uh um gave like even though they kind of mocked it and didn't take it too seriously. They still just you know, followed through. But then followed up. Like, yeah, might as well. It's their best lead. Right. But ultimately, like, it came down to, like, one of their... Who, who was the guy? Like, was he a retired officer? Or was he yeah, just, was like, the janitor or something? That just, like, wandered. And it was just like, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy's father before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, retired. Oh, yeah. thanks, plot device. Yeah, that's the guy I was talking about in the aftershot. He's yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just... <clears throat> It's that whole thing, and it's just, you know, there was no break in the case until this retired officer just had to be walking by and be like, oh, that's, I remember I that case. I worked a case like that years ago. Shut up, shut up, Jerry. <laughs> right. Get back to the gym. But that's when you also realize that, like, then it goes into the whole thing with the father, and you find out that not only is it not one of his other personalities, but he's actually alive and has faked his suicide twice yeah <laughs> yeah a little ridiculous but i actually admire them for following yeah. through on it and not really they kind of make i it don't go to this movie for plausibility so it's yeah yeah it's yeah fun. well wasn't this based on like a book or something uh, this is this is something this is that a different raising game <laughs> well here's the thing this came off the heels of bonfire of the vanities yeah so like, i need a hit and people basically associate me with psychological thrillers. So maybe I'll go back to that well. Yeah. But this ironically didn't do much better than Bonfire of the Vanities. So. so what you're saying is this is not the inspiration for the really delicious chicken franchise that has been sweeping across the nation, raising Kane's chicken fingers. And no. taking, the dogs in this movie taking the Google happened. search by storm. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know this? No, I didn't. Yeah, like yeah, there's no dogs in this. Chicken fingers I've ever had. I made Corey go uh, find one. Actually, wait. Morning. Jimmy's had it in New Orleans. Yeah, we had it. That's what we had at the mall in New Orleans. No, you guys ate. I wasn't hungry. You didn't have any? You didn't taste some of the chicken? I might have had a fry. Yeah, I probably Because you guys chicken. offered it. Yeah. Like, like, I was like, I'll take your word for it. I just wasn't hungry. <laughs> take your word for it. I wasn't going to offer any of the chicken. It's too good. I mean, oh, sure. But that's where we went, Raising Cane's. Yeah. Well, I'm just hungry. Why didn't we just have this ready to, like, we could be eating Raising Cane's chicken on set while we're doing this? The closest one is in Philly. It's coming that's... closer, but it's not in New Jersey yet. So we shoot it on location next time. That's fair. There you go. So, so... where they are. <laughs> well, if there aren't that many, I... 
No, there's over 300. Okay. And you know where all of them are. You know where the closest one to me is. Okay. That's all you need. <laughs> so. I just opened it up in March. Amazing. <laughs> so real quick. Yeah. I was just looking at the the poster on the Wikipedia page. I didn't realize that the, at the top of it, like, you know, it's got his, his face all split and whatever. It's got the, the scary looking no, you like that tag logo. Line. But the top of yeah, the, the tagline, uh, demented, deranged, deceptive De Palma. That's so good. <laughs> Around the top. I'm just like, okay. That's, that would have got me in the theater. Listen, he's Absolutely. a master of self uh promotion that's so good 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 thing too uh we're recording this right now on the 30th anniversary the first time we've done that in the entire don't don't feel too bad about uh this movie not doing well because the palma bounced back after this he did carlito's way and mission impossible immediately after this yeah at the time carlito's way is really good yeah, I've heard. It's, it's one of the blind spots I have for uh, Pacino. Never seen it. Actually, this is the first Brian De Palma movie I've ever seen. I've Whoa, not even really? seen Scarface. Really? Untouchables? You've yeah. Nope. Oh. Guys, I don't watch movies. That's why you guys do the thing with the posters. <laughs> I don't know shit. Okay. He's a special little boy. Carrie, oh. even, he hasn't seen yeah, what what did you think of the film? <laughs> I, I actually really like this. I mean, it's a guilty pleasure, I guess, but um, like I said, I think he's deliberately being uh, campy with this. So I, in that respect, I would probably give it a B plus. Oh, hey, me too. Yeah, B plus. Sounds about right. Wow. Jeff is going to be very negative. Uh, I'm going... <laughs> I'm going with a C. Okay. Because I'm like, it was... He hates fun. Enter- no, I don't hate fun. I'm just like maybe maybe I'm looking I'm looking through it as someone who like you know I I part of my college education was in psychology and I had been like following multiple personality stuff for like a long time and just looking back on it becoming a horror movie plot I'm like eh I don't love and I I I mean like and it was enjoyable but also just like the camp didn't work for me and the editing was all over the place and it felt like it was just very reliant on jump scares a lot um and it's like every three seconds you're just like okay he's raising his arm someone's gonna oh look there's someone in the shadows and it's just or oh no they're gonna take the the blanket off of the person in the morgue and it's gonna be a scary face and it's like it's i don't know it was both predictable and a mess <laughs> um but john lithgow is a national treasure so let's see Woo. Uh, I, let's do. I felt a bit the same way as jeff at first because i don't like that they were using multiple personality as a horror trope but that's because that was back then it's become more progressive I don't know if split knowledge has like better. Not many people knew about multiple personality disorders. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of rolled with it. Yeah. Or there might have been like maybe a few things earlier in film that's yeah, utilized I, it. I tried to or, separate myself yeah. from that. I, I you see it a lot in soap operas. Yeah. 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 Um, 
But then thinking about the cinematography and Lithgow's performance and, you know, talking about all this, it, it helped me appreciate it more. So I, I'd probably yeah. be at this point, but mm. well, it was I'm, a good pick to watch, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy watching it, not a lie. Yeah. I, I don't disregard this. As, no. You know. Honestly, my this my my opinion can be show uh summarized in a quote from from one of the other reviews that I'm reading on the Wikipedia page. Uh Owen Gleberman of Entertainment Weekly assigned the grade B minus and wrote, Is raising Kane a good movie? No way. You could almost say it's intentionally bad, a gleeful piece of Jerry Bill Schlock. That's yet- what I'm telling you. Yet De Palma's naughty boy gamesmanship has a perverse fascination, even when it doesn't work, which is most of the time. <laughs> oh my god, he's a, he's a he's a fucking hater. Bitter. I love. I like him. I just I just like that that quote, but it was it was okay. Yeah, it's just fine. I'm not I'm not really gonna watch this several more times. You will. <clears throat> but if it's on TV, I'm not like oh this movie. But it's never on TV. It really isn't. That's why it's a uh, forgotten gem. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. True. We're bringing it back to you. Yeah. There you go. We're bringing it back. We're raising Kane again. Hey. Raising him up to the right. So there's some several other films that came together. <laughs> I just like uh, actually a, a probably a movie we've all seen. I think <laughs> as children, Three Ninjas. Oh, Three Ninjas. Jimmy hasn't seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it. What? I yeah. saw the sequels too. Yeah, I've seen, par- yes. I've seen parts. You're missing I, out. I've, I've seen enough. I think what little I have, and what I think you, hate it, you hate it now. Oh yeah, no, I definitely would. And I'm pretty it's sure. Um, then did you not like three white kids learning karate? That never. <laughs> that wasn't ever a thing. That like that was not a problem. Okay, that wasn't a problem. <laughs> it's just a the problem. <laughs> No, no, no! It was a stupid kids movie, and also uh, the stupid kids that would, you know, pretend to be three ninjas. They would act like idiots. I'm like, the heck, the heck, you doing, guys? It's like, yeah. we're the three ninjas. Yeah. And I was like, please knock it off. You, you acted so dumb. Uh, my friends and I used to pretend we were the three ninjas uh, on the oh. playground. Yeah, we we loved it. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah, it was the ninja attack. Like, just the way the way those specific kids played it out like they were just like so obnoxious about yeah. it that was clearly inspiration for ninja attack and also also three friends that you've never met and another like maybe a social issue with three ninjas typically when the kids are playing three ninjas there's, a, there's three good guys so anybody else up against them are the bad guys so yes. if you're the new kid in the group yeah that means oh i see why you hate it because you were always the new kid well, I was either the new kid or it was just like if, if there was three brothers, it was just yeah. the three like it's like you guys aren't gonna switch it up. You guys are gonna be the good guys and like and part of playing pretend is if you're the bad guy, you gotta play dead, or else you're not having fun. And then like you know if uh, it's your first night at fight, I did not expect this. Wow, to be, uh, what happened? We're going into repressed anger. We're having a real breakthrough here, Jimmy. I had to play death as a child because of three ninjas. Holy shit. Go on. How do you Which is why I like Power Rangers, because there's five. We had a... Folks, I think we just had a breakthrough with young James over here. I did not expect this. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jeez, you got to, anyway. Oh, wow. 
This is John Turtletop's first so, movie. Yeah, YouTube psychology. <laughs> what is your involvement on this? Um, the man who would direct uh, the National Treasure films. This is his first film. Huh. God damn it, Jimmy ruined my home event. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I had an apostrophe. We, we, we had a real Sherman's March moment there for a bit. That's a great movie, by the way. It is. <clears throat> Did you like Three Ninjas? As a kid, I don't know if it would hold up. It's not going to hold up. I watched it a dozen times as a kid, but I'm never going to be able to watch it now. And like you, I've seen the uh, the sequels. I think there, there was one with uh, Hulk Hogan. The three Ninjas Go to Mega Mountain? Shit, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um, I just remember the name. I only saw that one once. It's not good. The second one was pretty much more of the same. I think the second one's called Kick High. High Kick, kick Strike Back. I forget that one. No, no. There's something about it. Yeah, it's like the three ninjas kick back or something. Three ninjas yeah, kick three back. Ninjas. Three ninjas knuckle up and three ninjas high noon at Mega Mountain. That's there what it is. Yeah, they switched out one of the brothers, but Ernie Reyes, who was in the Teenage oh, yeah. Middles films, was the oldest of the three brothers. That's why I liked it so much. Because he, in my mind, it was an extension of the Turtles. He's actually good. It was like, oh, it this is what he does when they go off in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Okay. He has his two bro- brothers. Yeah. So, um, Jim Varney was in one of them. I love Jim. That was that was the thing I saw Jim Varney and not the Ernest stuff. Huh? Oh, yeah. really? Wow. Yeah. So here's a here's a movie that <laughs> it's not a it's not a hidden gem because it's it's pretty much a masterpiece, and I'm sure a lot of people would agree. It's Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. Ooh. Oh yeah, that's a that's, See, a, that's, that's a good movie. That's it's weird that it came out in August. Yeah, they probably thought they were dumping a western. Yeah, Western was essentially dead at this point. Yeah, he reinvented <laughs> it. Um, basically, it's almost like the people who love uh, Logan. This is basically the Western version of Logan. It's about yeah. the, he plays like an old gunslinger who, you know, we kind of romanticized it <clears throat> back in the fifties and forties when we, they were making a lot of westerns. But now this is a this is a um, a more contemporary version where you realize those gunslingers back then. Yeah, they were they were murderers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they're haunted by what they've done because they've killed women and children along with outlaws. Yeah, uh, I think it's might be Clint's best movie. Uh, it's hard to say. Outlaw Josie Wales is up there, but I was gonna say, yeah, yeah it's definitely a, a contemplation on his well, entire okay. work. I, I could break I could break that tie with Josie Wales. Mm. Yeah, at least with the. Uh, uh, no, not Hail Rider. Uh, Unforgiven. Uh, that was p- pretty much an original, like original script, right? It was. It was okay, but like Outlaw Josie Wales, the book was written by a racist. Oh right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we can break that tie because one. I could still like it. <laughs> You're saying that that author of Josie Wales is Unforgiven. I can't like Ender's Game. Oh. Written by a homophobe. But then again, the irony is he wrote he wrote a story. About like an ex-confederate that like had a multi-racial family minus black. The heart wants what the heart wants, Jimmy. Minus black. Jimmy, so he's not such a bad guy after all. What you're saying. I mean, you know, he 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 attended rallies, so like it was he he was a real he was a real good guy deep down. He just came out in his writing. 
The I heart mean, wants what the heart wants. He was one good guy in a bad situation. Or maybe oh, one bad guy of, in of his own creation. <laughs> I mean, he did write, like, he legitimately did write a good story. It's just confusing that, like, why? Yeah. We were talking about who, who's the racist, David Webb Peoples? Or no? I think, uh, I forget his name. The original writer? Of Josie Wells. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? Uh, that, was, really that, was his, that was his uh, novel. No, that's looking at it. His, uh, his pseudonym. I'm looking at the thing. Like, it, was, it was found out uh, he had to write it under his pseudonym because, like, he was an elected politician at one point or was, or was running for office. So, like, he was running on a very racist platform. So, like, he had to make that book under a pseudonym. <laughs> Gotcha. Oh, I'm so sorry. Come on, forgive. But yeah, unforgiven's better. Unforgiven's better. I broke. That's the point. Was I'm breaking the tie? Okay. And I, well, this kind of did this sweep the Oscars? I got. I know. I know that um, the Clint one and Gene Hackman one. I think Clint won for directing. Hmm. I don't know. If Morgan Freeman. Morgan it Freeman. won four Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Speaking best of, picture, uh, best actor in a supporting role, Gene Hackman. Yeah. Eastwood for director and best film editing, Joel Cox. Nice. Speaking of uh, Untouchables, uh, there's a connection to that again with De Palma. Um, Kevin Costner, when he was making No Way Out with uh, Gene Hackman. Yeah, it's a great movie. Gene Hackman apparently was watching him perform in that movie, and he said to Costner later, he's like, this made me remember why I love doing this. I remember that anecdote. I can, I can tell you yeah. what that was. And there's, he, part, yeah. there's a part, there's a scene in uh, No Way Out where they blocked it to have it happen at a desk. And then Costner said, you know, my character is kind of erratic right now. He'd be pacing. And the director like pushed back on it. And he insisted that, no, no, the scene's over here. We're going to have it. And he's like, well, Gene's not prepared for this. He's like, Gene will do what Gene does. He's a genius. So then in the park, he saw him in a parking lot as he was about to leave. Gene Hackman approached Kevin Costner and he thought he was going to go, you know, you ever talk to a director like that again? I swear to God. But he went, you know, when you were so passionate about how you wanted to move the scene, I've been doing a lot of paycheck movies. You reminded me why I love acting. Yeah. Mm. And that led him to take a couple of roles that results in Unforgiven. Right. He's pretty much going to retire, but without that, Thank God. Had him win his Oscar. So yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. Maybe I don't know if that's my favorite Gene Hackman, but it's up there. How, how can you narrow down your favorite Gene Hackman? He's a genius and everything. Yeah, I know that's a, that's a tough one. Wonder if we'll uh, come across him in a couple films. He's always in something that's high profile, so I don't know yeah. that he. Well, we did it. It was our February episode. We didn't do a picks of the month per actor back then. What, Loose Cannons? Yeah, Loose Cannons. <laughs> Damn. Is that your favorite Gene Hackman? No, but would have thought One of One of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, Joe, what, how do you feel about Unforgiven? Jeff? Or, oh, I heard it. I haven't seen it. I have no idea. Oh, yeah, you haven't I'm seen not, it? Oh, I knew God. that was going to happen. Yeah. So I guess we're gonna have to kidnap you, sit you down, and make you watch Unforgiven because yeah. this is unforgivable. Yeah, it's like a time. Yeah, that's why I'm giving out the plot, but I'm glad we went into Josie Wales. So we didn't. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, oh, uh, good thing yeah. I, I took over. <laughs> I stopped it from happening. I just assumed you hadn't seen it. <laughs> it's a safe assumption, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Have you at least seen a bridge too far? 
I haven't. Actually. Oh, I mean, it's, uh, I haven't either. It's a long movie. Oh wow! But Gene Hackman's in it, and like I get it confused with the longest guy. Yeah, Clint Eastwood's in it too. Speaking of which, uh, yeah. Connery's like, in it. Two of actors in it. Yeah, yeah. Attenborough's in it. Yes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> what else is in it? I don't know. Too many. Talk about nineteen ninety-two. Too many. Um. <laughs> do you guys remember that that really horrible Lord? Uh, Kim Basinger movie I was talking about last month. I forget the name of it. You got to be more specific. I know. <laughs> um, it's the one where she has blackouts when she's drunk. I talked about it, but anyway, more specific. it has like a spiritual, it has a spiritual it like that, people that came out this month called um, Whispers in the Dark, which might actually be worse. Yeah. Um, it's for some reason that you, you talk about split personality being like demonized back then. For some reason, every time they showed a psychologist and who was talking to a patient the patients are always like really quirky and crazy like nobody has normal problems so therapy and psychologists were looked down upon until like the 2000s right that's when the industry started yeah because it's like there was that uh that that, the stigma of like you go into a head doctor yeah you must be fucked up yeah yeah so annabelle skewer plays this uh, psychologist who um the people that she's interested start getting murdered and her mentor is played by Alan Alda. And twist, he's the one killing them. When when Alan Alda is the murderer at the end and he's frothing at the mouth, I almost want you to watch it just for that. I kind of want to see that. He, I think he, he got a Razzie nomination because he's so bad. Because he's miscast. You can't take him. You can't be scared of Alan Alda. It's like if Dick Van Dyke were a serial killer. That happened in Columbo. Really? In Columbo where he's a murderer. He's actually what? pretty good. Um, but yeah, this is tawdry trash. Mm-hmm. I can't believe Alan Alda even signed on for this. Um, this actually, actually, this movie we probably could have talked about because I think it's kind of an underrated gem. Digstown. That was our second choice. Yeah, it's a uh, boxing buddy sports comedy between uh, James Woods and um, Lou Gossett Jr., who Tristan's worked with. Yeah, I think. Mostly, we I wanted to do John Lithgow, and we'd just done Lou Gossett last year, and we kind of had James Woods in there last year for that Michael J. Fox movie. So hard way, yeah, yeah. But um, this is directed by Michael Ritchie. It's a really good movie. They play uh, uh, James Woods plays a boxing promoter. Lou Gossett Jr. plays a boxer, and they they kind of fix matches. And the villain is played by uh, Bruce Dern. Interesting. Is this the parody they do in The Simpsons where Mo becomes Homer's boxing promoter? Could be. That's funny. I keep seeing these films. I'm like, ah, that's the reference from that. Simpsons. Right. Yeah. Uh, because I know that really obscure that. reference because I don't think this movie is really that well known. There's definitely a reason Kane reference in Simpsons. I remember seeing some shot, and I'm like, that's a shot from an episode in season five. Yeah. It's a it's a really fun movie, and I mean. I mean, it's right up Jeff's alley because he likes those bloody comics. Yeah. Uh, a lot of homework this month, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Back to school season. <laughs> probably one of, the, one of the prime examples of the stalker genre from the 90s, uh, single white female. Ooh. If anybody remembers that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Bridget Fonda and Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy's basically playing like an admirer of Bridget Fonda and then she starts to become like her doppelganger. She starts to look like her. She starts to dress like her. She colors her hair like her. And um, her boyfriend, 
Tristan should know this. Who's played by? Steven Weber. Yes. Yep. Um, from Wings. And uh, there's a weird, there's a weird scene where she seduces him and has sex with him. He's like, "Wait, you're not the person I want to have sex with." What? Okay, it's cool. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that seems like a Weber thing to do. <laughs> You'll do. Yeah, that'll work. It uh, sounds like a thriller version of Desperately Seeking Susan. Yeah. It's so, not good. It's not good? I don't like stalker movies. Okay. I don't like movies where people are perpetually getting gaslighted, but I'm sure other people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a movie that I thought it held up until I rewatched it. Stay tuned. Oh, oh. yeah. It came up, Jeff. This was another uh, option because we wanted to talk about John Ritter, but... God. It's so I bad. I saw it two years ago and I was like, Corey's not going to want to watch this. Again. It's horrible. I remember as a kid liking it because it would be... Because uh, basically the plot is they get this remote. Uh, John, John Ritter's like a cash potato and this... Uh, it's possessed, so he gets... Uh, absorbed into the tv and thrown to different channels so it's almost like they're doing little parodies and vignettes as they run along but there's they're not very inspired they're pretty witless the ideas themselves are good because there's one where they go to a game show network show but it's the same premise every time it's just something tries to kill them yeah, I think if this were remade, it would be really good because, especially if it were remade even ten years ago, because with the advent of so many channels, or now even streaming, Amazon was talking about doing a TV series based on this. Yeah, I think it would have been a good idea, and you could do a different genre every episode. It has one laugh that I remember, <laughs> which is John Ritter gets pulled into Three's Company. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Jack Tripper all over again. They unfortunately did not get the uh, actresses. They had doppelgangers play them. Right. Uh, little simple white female there, too. Yeah, and even Don Knotts wasn't in there. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, Don Knotts wasn't really doing much at that point. Yeah. He's in Pleasantville a couple years later. Speaking of uh, John Lithgow and Dexter, uh, Dokes was the assistant demon who's trying to terrorize him. Oh. Nice. You know who the main one is? Jeffrey Jones. Uh, There's some uncomfortable moments because I think he talks to their children. Stuff does not age well. Ritter's children help save the day. So, yeah. Um, Excellent. So one of one of two dueling Christopher Columbus movies came out this year. Uh, There was not the director. There was 1402, which is directed. Directed by Ridley Scott, but this is Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. And uh, boy, you couldn't have had a more miscast <laughs> ensemble. You have Tom Selleck as King Ferdinand. Now imagine that. With the mustache? mustache? Nope, no mustache. And you had Marlon Brando as Torquemada. It's I don't. I don't know who they just threw darts at a board. I guess to find casting for this, but it the movie's awful, and uh, they really, they really kind of whitewashed Columbus. Huh. Hmm. And, and the history has taught us that Columbus wasn't a great guy. Yeah. So maybe. And Amerigo Vespucci maybe should have gotten a little more credit. 
Yeah. I feel like you'd have a I feel like you'd have a very difficult time making an accurate Columbus movie, though, just about him being a genocidal maniac, given <laughs> well, the, the, uh, yeah. this movie's just kind of turgid and overproduced, and obviously the casting is awful. I feel like if you wanted to do a Columbus movie, you could do a hit job on him, but everyone would be like, why make a Columbus movie? So you're kind of, it's a lose-lose situation at this point. Yeah. Well, it's just like we watched that Lance Armstrong movie, and that was a hatchet job. Yeah, I don't know. Like any of these explorers, it's kind of pointless to do any of them now because they were all like just searching for new land and murder. So, <laughs> right, yeah. They were all just looking for a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, and going um, real bad. <laughs> one of uh, one of Brandon Lee's first movies, uh, Rapid Fire, came out this month. Really fun movie. It's one of his first starring roles. Um, it's him and uh, Powers Booth actually not playing a villain this time. Oh, actually, Powers Booth. I don't know. He's actually playing a, a, the, his police escort after he witnesses a murder by the mob, so the mob's trying to kill him. And he gets to show off a lot of his uh, martial arts prowess in this. Whereas uh, in some of his the, the real early work, he was basically just he was doing action scenes, but he wasn't allowed to choreograph them. Hmm. So in this, he actually gets to show off that he is like almost the heir apparent to his father. That's a fun movie. Um, Light Sleeper came out this month. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, Paul Schrader. It's part of his. uh, It's part of his um, his his unofficial trilogy that has to do with like insomnia. So it's this American Gigolo and uh, the Walker. And um, it's Willem Dafoe, and he plays like a drug dealer in New York. And uh, it's, it's yeah. Why did we not watch this? I don't know. It's good. Yeah. It's really good. Um, it's him and Susan Sarandon. Mm-hmm. And actually, David Spade has a little cameo in there, too, mm-hmm. as one of the clients. Another, another, uh, I know why we watch this, because I want to go over look at but Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. But yeah, that would be a hidden gem this month. Anybody wants to watch that? Um, and then before we get the poster boy, one more movie, uh, a sequel, uh, Pet Cemetery Two, mm-hmm. which is directed by the same woman, but the tone is completely different, and it's awful. Hmm. It doesn't. Pet really Cemetery be- Two, heavy petting. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I don't think we even need to describe it. We just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, let's go on a question. <laughs> Buddy. <clears throat> oh, I like the way you edited this. Thank you. All right. It's a little Post tough. Boy. Okay. So <laughs> the poster is um, so there's a red background, looks like curtains, and then a striped parquet floor Mm -hmm. uh and in the very focus of the image is one half of a friendship necklace like half of a heart Mm -hmm. um which is blank right now probably because of the edit and the uh other half is on fire like the other Mm -hmm. the other half of the necklace is missing it's just like the the jagged half that would connect is uh on fire Bobby has it. So, what's that? 
Bobby has it. So. Bobby has it. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Heartburn. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So what do you what do you want first? You want the synopsis? You want the title? You want... Yeah, yeah. guess what this could be about. Okay. Or, you obviously don't know this, I'm guessing? I don't. This is iconic, but... Really? Yeah. I bet it is, but... Um, but obviously, if you don't know it, yeah, make up a plot or try to guess what the plot is and then maybe come up with a name. Okay. I'll give so, you what's in the image because you might get it from that. Yeah, from what's in the image, I'm going to say, well, I already said heartburn. That's not right. Um, oh, the original. The the Beast Friends. No, it's about, <laughs> <laughs> it's about someone who's best friends or best friends with, with Satan or something some some such mm-hmm. underworld character mm-hmm. and it's you know a love triangle that one of them wants to get out of but they can't because there's some sort of ethereal contract that had been entered into so they're half they become half demon and can't get out of it there was a there was a kernel of truth in there see i'm i'm going off of you know the the flames are definitely leading me in 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 that direction but it could also just be they left uh you know someone was left brokenhearted very fast maybe it's a car movie maybe it's no no i'm getting getting colder um heat of the moment um it's based on it it's the asia biopic right so or or it's a crime thriller where somebody has an affair and the person she's having an affair with uh dies in a fire and so you have that all hanging up over the whole thing and then eventually it comes to light in some sort of dramatic thing i'm totally going way off base here there's kernels of truth but, in there is, yeah. not, you got some stuff do you want to try one more title and then i'll give you <laughs> okay all right all right um it's a little tough without realizing what this actually is. Right. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> it's over. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Be mine. Is that the lady from Mortal Kombat? I have no idea who that is. Oh, Mortal Kombat. It's just a face. Some some no, blonde no, character Kombat. actress in presumably seductive clothing. I love facing her away. Um but yeah, okay, so it's one half of a locket. Um, is she like half mermaid? Is that what the other half should be? No, it's not. Okay. I mean, she does brown. <laughs> so if she's half mermaid, then that would mean like... I wouldn't put a <laughs> one leg... She doesn't drown. She's killed before she's put in the river. <clears throat> okay. So she's pre-drowned. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. And post-drowned. Burning desire. This is really funny because you have no idea what this is. No, I, I really, I genuinely, and I'm going to hit myself. Right, here here's, here's a tagline. Okay, give me a tagline. In a town like this, no one is innocent. Okay. Uh, something about guilt, guilty conscience. A lot of guilt in this. He's going to be so mad when he finds out what this I, is. I am. You the have next, no idea. The next thing gives it away, because if you notice that this in the tagline is a little rusty, because I was trying to work on my making yeah in Photoshop. Yeah. Oh. At 3 a.m. Yeah. 
So Feebler. Okay, so it's it's very clearly a no winners. It's a drama. Mm-hmm. Um, someone probably dies. Someone has an affair. Someone does all three. Um, and they're all just trying to make. It's it's just two good guys and one bad woman in a bad situation. Close enough. Okay. Put me on the elementary. word that's there. In a town like Twin Peaks, no one is innocent. Gotcha. That's right. No, so it's Twin Peaks. It's Firewalk Twin with me. Firewalk with me, which was a theatrical release. Huh. So <laughs> prequel, prequel to the show. See, it's it's funny because in the credits you did not censor out David Bowie's name, but that still didn't give it away. Like that's yeah. how as long yeah. as you censored out David know. Lynch, that's fine. I did I did blur out Kyle McLaughlin as special agent Dale mm-hmm. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just in case you didn't know what this yeah. is. Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. I have never seen oh, yeah. any Twin Peaks anything. That's why I knew as soon yeah. as you didn't know what it was. Like this is iconic. She's they're always going back to the little heart she shares with Bobby, her boyfriend. And oh, that's what he you has it. So he's okay. he's the first <clears throat> suspect in her murder. They find her dead body in the pilot episode, wrapped in plastic near the logging. Oh, wow. Well, and that's why you think maybe she drowned, but she's wrapped in plastic. So then they're like, she might have been killed somewhere else. And why was she killed? And then Dale Cooper interviews everyone in town over the course of the first season, and there's a big mystery. Everyone's sort of a suspect. It's so it's is incredible. Is this um, this isn't the show though? This was the no, yeah, it's a prequel the to the show. Without going into what actually happened, so in case you actually want to see it someday, I, they find I do. out who actually murders her in the middle of the second season, and then they kind of try to do some other mysteries for the second half, and it got canceled. Uh, okay. Then he went back for his next project to kind of do more of what he wanted to do and give people what they wanted and answer some unresolved issues with her death but it wasn't really necessary and if you've never seen it like Corey he never saw the first saw the revival series and I loved it which is also weird he just he's only seen this in the third season which doesn't really have anything to do with her murder it's like what happened to the people that survived almost don't care about her murder and you know, with Lynch, he's just weird and esoteric. And this is the beginning of him being esoteric about Twin Peaks. Not really the beginning, but like really obtuse about it. Yeah. And so honestly, if you haven't seen any of it, these two pieces are kind of <laughs> didactic in that way. Um, the actual show is fairly straightforward at first, but then it gets into the supernatural in this, and that's why it's fire walk with me, because Dale Cooper thinks he has some sort of connection with her yeah. in the afterlife. And so he ends up having dreams where he's in this red curtain room with a parquet floor. And so that's why that's there uh, that's okay. as well. And then there's always flames in the dreams too, or in his images that he has. And so that has nothing to do with their actual death, except that there are possibly supernatural <laughs> stuff going on. So. Huh. All right, well, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. I think you'd like the show, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I would. I just, it goes, it goes it's on the list. Yeah. It's on the retirement plan. Yeah. It, go, it goes real quick. Yeah. 
Yeah, you've never seen any of it. Right? I've never yeah. seen any. You, you'd you'd like it a lot, actually. Well, now I'm not so, going to like it. Just okay. to be, just to be, you contrarian. Anyway, we have a second poster. Oh, one. As if you couldn't put me in enough of my misery. All right. This, one, this one's more fun. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're in a desert of some sort, and you know, in the background, there's there's palm trees and lit by. The silhouette um, from the moon, and in the very foreground is a small house of cards, um, made up of yeah. diamonds and hearts. I'm not sure uh, if that's a significant thing. Um, and then you have five Elvis impersonators parasailing in. <laughs> um. So this is something to do in Vegas. Wow. Uh, is this honeymoon in Vegas? No, it can't be honeymoon. What, what was that? It's, it's, not, it's not honeymoon in Vegas, is it? Oh, it might be. He got it. Yeah, that was pretty good. What? He got, oh, the first he got it. Well, there's a yeah, there's there's a moon, so, and then have you seen honeymoon in Vegas? I've not. So do you know who's in it? I'll give you extra points for that. I'll give you a bonus. Tony Danza. Tony Danza. Tony Danza. No, he was, no, he was in the no. Sorry, he was in the the Broadway version that they did. Oh, really? Broadway version? They did a Broadway version. Okay. No, wait. What this is. Yeah, yeah, they did a Broadway version of Honeymoon in Vegas. It was like a very limited engagement, but Tony Danza was in it. Huh? Not limited enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess let me give you this. I made new slides, so try to guess who those three people are. <laughs> I blurred their faces out. Right. Very Billy Crystal, Vince Vaughn, and Bette Midler. <laughs> Vince Vaughn was a thing back then. No, not 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 Vaughn. Uh, Steven Seagal. Wow. <laughs> no. Just so I can go through it, here's the, the guy that the guy that plays Little Carmine in The Sopranos. <laughs> a comedy about one bride, two grooms, and thirty-four flying Elvises. What? And here they are. Unless you want to guess one more time. Uh, is one of them Steve Gutenberg? You want to guess? No, 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 no. Yeah, guess a famous actor about ninety-two. Or actor. Steve Gutenberg, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, you want a clue? I don't know. Those those hairlines are really. Mm-hmm. Like I, all I can think yeah. is my. Well, <laughs> yeah. One Michael them, Keaton. One was my favorite actor. Oh. Oh. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Give me a clue. You'll know me well enough. Yeah. All right. I'll just put you out of your misery. I'm. I'm just fine. I already guessed the movie. So, James Caan and Nicolas Cage. Oh wow. Sarah Jessica Parker. I was going to say Sarah uh, Jessica Parker, but I couldn't yeah, remember her name. But I didn't think it was really all that relevant yet. He won his Oscar <laughs> next year. Oh, that's the next year. Yeah. Oh, he's not relevant. He just went back to Vegas and got drunk. Yeah. Wow. I should have spoke my thoughts. Oh, well. Anyway. Always speak your truth, James. Anyway, I've the never truth seen is a Pat, Wait, hang on. Pat Morita? Yeah, yeah, thank you. I blurred that out just in case that helped. <laughs> It didn't help. It just made it makes it more intriguing. I know. I want to see it. You watch it. Yeah, I should. So, uh, what's it about? 
Okay. All right, so it's about uh, Nicolas Cage is a commitment phobic private investigator, but uh, is because his mother dies, played by Anne Bancroft, and on her deathbed says, "Please don't get married." Okay. So then um, <clears throat> he's haunted by it, but eventually he realizes he's going to lose his girlfriend Sarah Jessica Parker if he doesn't get married. So they take a <clears throat> they take a ride to Vegas in order to get hitched real quick. But then he's kind of a gambling addict. So he's indebted to James Kahn's character who says, look, um, I'll absolve the debt if you let me spend the weekend with your girlfriend. Because she looks like the spitting image of his ex-wife who died. Okay. So he tries to seduce her and get her to marry him and it becomes a love triangle. Oh, fun. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Jinxon. Hmm. Huh. And if you like Nicolas Cage freakouts, this movie has a lot of them. <laughs> All right. It's kind of his bread and butter, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> okay. So I'm trying to figure out how they decided that when they brought this to Broadway, they're going to be like, you know who would be great? Tony Danza. I he's playing, playing the, the Nicolas Cage character? I don't, I don't know. James Conn part. I can see him playing the James Conn part. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. was the uh, Nick Cage part? Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, yeah. given that we had a run of uh, films that covered people that uh, unfortunately passed away the last few months, <clears throat> we thought, given that our poster boy, timely enough, came up around the time James Conn passed away, we're actually going to skip over John Lithgow. Oh. Surprise. And go with what's your favorite James Conn film in order to honor his memory. I guess I guess start. Uh, the Gambler, the original. They remade it with Mark Wahlberg, uh, James Toback. <clears throat> uh, it's a character study with James Conn. He plays a professor who also mm. has a hard blue. It, it's it's even it's even more than like gambling problem. He just needs the adrenaline rush. He's an adrenaline junkie. So by the end, he's doing things just. <clears throat> really just really dangerous activities just so he can get a high off of it mm-hmm. james Conn's fantastic in it we want to oh we want to leave out godfather because that's obvious yeah, yeah anything that isn't the godfather yeah, films, i've never seen the godfather so like that's yeah neither like, have i on my list which i need to get on what? yeah yeah i i yeah. forgive jeff but jimmy you're not you're a connoisseur of film you're a connoisseur yeah, of like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm shocked yeah it just seemed a little too long for me it's and also like is also i didn't get into gangster movies so much later in my life well you've seen good films at least yeah oh yeah yeah. that's the thing wait he was in bottle rocket he sure was wow the reason was one of the reasons wes anderson got popular because right uh i forget who got con but they convinced him to be in it it i remember i'm listening i gotta watch that polly platt who was uh, peter bogdanovich's wife and she was an advocate for younger filmmakers like Wes Anderson. And so I think maybe her connections got James Conn in. I'm jumping to conclusions, but I gotta watch that. Yeah. Off for the part they were like, this young up-and-coming guy is trying to make his film with two two brothers, Luke and Owen Wilson. Which is and weird because we could talk about how like this is amazing. <clears throat> we could talk about how James Conn has passed on so many huge movies. Yeah, actually his career is littered with more stuff 
more trivia about movies he passed on than actually took. Wow. That became huge. Like he passed on Superman. He passed on Kramer versus Kramer. Who was he gonna be in Superman? Lex Luthor? Hello. He's gonna be Superman. Oh, what? What close encounters? Oh yeah, that would have been good. Which is so many huge movies, it's not even funny. I can can I'll I'll even bring up the list. I did enjoy Dogville. Dogville, if it was you guys ever see Dogville? Yeah, uh Lars von Trier's. Yeah, it was a very depressing Lars von Trier movie, three hours long. But I love the the art direction in that movie too, because the whole thing takes place in like it's a sleepy little western town, but the town is literally like they're inside a soundstage, and it's just a chalk outline of the town. And so they when they go to each other's houses, they like they go and it's very clearly like Amy's house or whatever, and they just or the courthouse, and that's just how and they they're just sitting doing all of this in basically a black box format. Oh, so here, here's a list of movies he passed on. Listen, listen to his list. MASH, The French Connection, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Close Encounters, Kramer versus Kramer, Apocalypse Now, Blade Runner, Love Story, Superman. <laughs> he could have been the biggest star in the world. Listen, the man did what he wanted to do, and that's why he all of it was leading up to him being an elf. But he did Rollerball? <laughs> Which one was he going to be in uh, French Connection? Popeye or the other one? He's going to be Popeye with Dog. That would have been good. And he was going to be um, Murphy in One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, well. He had a great career nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I mean, the stuff he ended up picking was... Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Elf, of course. No. Uh, <laughs> ooh. No, um, what's wrong with you? I'm gonna go with the way of the gun. It was oh, this, great. a little film around the turn of the century. <clears throat> has one of the best Mexican standoffs in the end. Literally. Yeah, yeah he uh, literally in Mexico. Uh <clears throat> he just he just chews scenery like he he the best you know who uh, wrote directed that. Uh, I'm forgetting. Christopher McQuarrie. That's right. Yeah, that was his breakout. I knew it was someone's breakout. It, he had done that. Uh, suspects was the first thing he directed. Yeah. Uh, did he direct? Yeah, he directed that, right? Yeah. yeah. Now he's doing the Mission Impossible movies. Wow. Well, I'm going with the bridge too far because, like, I don't really like. I'm looking at the list. Oh and, wow, like, he brought remember it much in anything else. So like, eh. that's why I was thinking. But when you brought it up, I'm like, oh, yeah. Really? And also, I brought it up earlier, so it's fitting. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know. If it weren't for the fact that it said uncredited for 1941, like I would have gone with that. But like, do you remember a minute? I haven't. I don't seen remember a minute. Like, I love that movie. Genius, so I don't know yeah. what it does. Hmm. He probably he must have some sort of cameo. So it says like random sailor or something. He's got kind of a cameo in Silent. Like, before. No, we should rewatch. Well, I should rewatch it. Seen, you yeah, should I watch should it. See it I know it's. Good. I remember it being good. I just uh, don't remember. Dad, Dad yeah. even likes it. Yeah, it, I think that's an underrated Spielberg. From mm-hmm. what I'm hearing from, it's a great movie. Yeah. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. It's a lot of fun. Um, I was also thinking about Alien Nation. Alien Nation's not a bad film. I like the show better, but the concept is good. You didn't. You didn't like Alien Nation. The concept is better than the actual movie. The movie is basically, it's it's another uh, buddy cop film, but the only difference is that they're 
there's aliens. It really doesn't. It's cosmetic. It doesn't. It makes no difference whether they're aliens or not, really. Yeah. Uh, Mandy Patinkin plays the alien, and I thought he was pretty good. But James Conner is the one that has to sell the fact that aliens now live among us hmm. in normal roles. And so I think he's the best part of that. He's a very deadpan. Yeah, he's, he's very good. And the guy who plays Sykes in the uh, TV show, good, but he's not James Conner. Yeah. Oh, the villain is uh, Terrence oh. Stim. He is, yeah. Yeah. That might have been the first turn. Actually, it would have been the first of all three. I might have seen Princess Bride first, but th- that might have been my first James Bond film. Mm. So. Mm. I was say cameo. Look, shows better, honestly. Yeah. That's why I went with Way to Go. He took a few years off in the eighties. Yeah, because he kept missing out on roles. Listen. Well, apparently, he his sister died, and that had a huge impact on him. Oh. Hmm. That's too bad. So he was almost considered a Hollywood burnout. Interesting. Well, I'm glad he had his resurgence in the 90s then. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what do we have? I, I got the what? gambler. Gambler, way of the gun. Bridge too far. Too far. And then. I was going to say misery. Oh. But then I found out he was in a movie called Undercover Grandpa. <laughs> What the damn now i'm gonna go with misery but yeah, i do yeah. want to watch undercover yeah. grandpa now yeah. he don't make us publicly Honestly, friend you on the internet i'm not a huge fan of misery but that might be one of his best performances i think i can yeah. mute you might be his best <laughs> don't mute him <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> hey now hey look it's paul servino <laughs> Uh, Paul, uh, he wasn't undercover. Just, uh, just a who's grandpa cast is dropping like flies. It's just a who's who of people that died this month. Jesus Christ! True. Oh my God, this movie looks ridiculous. I want to. Okay. Once we're done here, we're gonna watch. Let's wrap party. it up. We're gonna go watch undercover grandpa. Watch, watch party undercover. <laughs> oh my God. Um, we hope you liked Raising Kane. We hope you agree with us that it's a nice guilty pleasure. Uh, next month, we're going to do something a little less of a guilty pleasure. I don't actually know how to describe this because I don't know anything about a it. Caper. It's, a I guess, a caper. Uh, we, we're going to cover two films because Jimmy wanted to pick The Last of the Mohicans, but Corey felt that that was too popular of a film still. I mean, has a it, good following he's still. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. I just. I mean, I thought it was the best movie that comes out in September, but of course it is. Corey decided to uh, push Sneakers, which I also feel is still kind of popular. So we're going to talk about both of those because those are the highlights. But there's your uh, caper for the month. Uh, Let's just hope that Robert Redford doesn't die in the next month. Oh, Jesus. We don't, no, don't say that. No, no, no. Stop no, that. Good because Sidney Poitier died this year. So Why would you do that? Fine. I'm well, putting well, it out the universe. Well, that you only one at a time. All right, all right, all right, all right. Fine. It's going to happen. Okay. Hey, it's Michael Ainwright's day. I brought it up. Yeah, we don't need to put that into public. Yeah, no, 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 guys. It's my fault. We hope you have a nice month watching Raising Kane. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, tell all your friends. Slam that like button. Only review if it's a five star. We don't like any nonsense out there. 
I see those lines in iTunes. A couple of those got twos. I don't, I don't like it. Hey. Hey. Intimidation. Golden <laughs> <laughs> yours. Thank you. Welcome back to the Intimidations Podcast. Hey. <laughs> you guys. Okay. Wow.